Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Being Inspired Radio Show. I am Amanda Johnson, your host, and thrilled to spend this time with you again as I continue reading aloud from my book, Becoming Enough, A Heroine's Journey to the Already Perfect Self. And it's also exciting because I am in the midst of working on book two, uh, which feels so expansive and inspiring and all of the good things that come with creating something new. So as I bring book one into the world in this new way, reading it aloud, sharing it on my radio show, I am also expressing what needs to come through me for the second book in this series. So stay tuned, more information on the to come on that as, as it forms itself a bit more and I'm ready to release it. But we have a ways to go. We're going to finish this book. And if you haven't already gotten your copy, you can certainly do that at any time on Amazon. So we are in the midst of part two, the adventure. What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Chapter six living with uncertainty. Here I am, exploring this new landscape of limitless possibilities, having adventures, revealing hidden treasures, and feeling pretty damn good about myself. I'm learning to identify and listen to that true self within, slowly but surely. I've quit my job, placing trust in myself and the universe to take care of me. I'm leaning into the fear and moving forward despite it. I'm off and running or rather taking one step at a time, sometimes with a bit of trepidation. My whole life I have believed that not knowing is something to avoid at all costs. I have made, I don't know, mean, I have no direction, no purpose, I will make a mistake, I will feel forever stuck and unhappy, I'm a fraud, I'm wasting my life, quite the snowball effect. As you can imagine, not knowing has never felt good. With the hope to defeat ambiguity, I created a belief that there is one answer and it is right. If I can just figure it out, I won't have to face confusion anymore. What I learned is that's not how it works. Uncertainty persists. So I continue to doubt myself, look for validation, seek answers from others. All this in an attempt to feel certain. If I know the answer or that I chose the right choice, then I can rest easy. In a weird way, doubt offers me relief from feeling uncertain, even though doubt itself is a feeling of uncertainty. By expending energy wondering what I should do or should have done, I feel like I'm doing something to feel more sure about things. But as the wisdom in A Course in Miracles says, certainty does not require action. The ego would have you believe that you could free yourself of any unpredictability if you just do more, analyze it, figure it out, ask more questions. The feeling of not knowing is so repulsive that many of us go to great lengths to protect ourselves from it, mainly through the distraction of incessant doubt. This doubt, which you may be familiar with, is born of the ego's judgment and the fear that uncertainty brings. Somehow thinking that if you question yourself or others enough, you will find the certainty you are looking for and be okay. 
all the while keeping you from the knowing that already exists within. To keep you from catching on too quickly to its devious ploy, the ego fools you into teetering on the edge of not knowing in one moment and knowing everything the next. Like perfectionism, these are two sides of the same coin. Either you don't know anything and are not enough, or you know it all and are better than. Both of these are masks you wear to keep the truth hidden, that you have a much deeper knowing within that doesn't require any proof. This terrifies the false self. The thing that is even scarier than uncertainty is true certainty, complete being. If I truly have the answers within, that means I am connected to something much larger than myself. Call it God, source, universe, whatever. It means that I no longer get to look to others to validate my knowing or give me the answers. It means that I have to sit in the discomfort of not knowing on a mental level and lean into trusting a knowing that occurs at a soul level. It means I no longer have to ask the questions that have plagued me most of my life. Am I good enough? Did I say the right thing? Should I quit my job or stay? What should I do? This mask of doubt is stitched together based on the lack of confidence in who I am, doubting that I am already perfect. In this new world full of opportunity, I no longer want to distract myself with doubt and doing, so I choose more trust and more being. I'm off to a great start and starting to get a little too big for my britches, and you know what that means. It's time for a larger pair of pants. This makes the false self nervous. What if I throw it out with my once comfortable and now too tight pants? In an attempt to protect itself, it reaches for its favorite mast and begins to doubt each and everything in the hopes of concealing my inner wisdom. As I wobble around learning to stand on my already perfect legs, I notice that persistent voice of doubt. My tendency is still to look outside myself for the answers, validation, and approval of my enoughness. I spend more than another full year stumbling around looking to others to tell me who I am before learning to go directly to the source, my true self. The difference now is that I'm learning how to play the role of the observer and watch these tendencies lead me back to myself. One day, while sitting outside Starbucks in sunny Los Angeles, the observer apparently decides to take a vacation. As I sit down to write this book, which is pretty threatening to my ego's sense of who I am, certainly not an author or a channel for the divine, I run smack dab into a wall of paralyzing doubt. This isn't the sort of worry like, I wonder how this book will come into the world, or I wonder how I'll make money to cover the expenses. The doubt that blindsides me is the kind that the ego just loves to sink its teeth into. It says, who do you think you are? What if you are wrong about this whole thing? Notice the difference? The first kind asks, how? The second questions my entire being and comes from a place of fear and judgment. Plunking away on the keys of my laptop, I am allowing the first chapter to flow out of me when, in an instant, the entire message of my book is called into question. What if it's not about being enough? What if that is yet one more way of playing small? What if I'm a total fraud? It kicks my legs right out from under me. I stop writing for many months as I confront the fear and judgment and take a long, hard look at what is and isn't true. Looking back at it now, I can see that the doubt that knocked me off my feet on a lovely January morning in Southern California 
wanted to keep me crammed nice and snug into my now too tight trousers. It wanted to keep me living under an illusion by having me doubt the truth of which I was getting a glimpse. Luckily, I didn't surrender to the fear. Instead, I stepped out into the darkness. It was like walking around in a dark room with my hands out in front of me to be sure I don't bump into anything. Even though I'm learning to trust that there is nothing in this room that could harm me, it still feels scary to walk around in the dark. But it's not the darkness that I fear. It's the fact that I'm being asked to walk around putting my full trust in the light within to guide me. What I begin to notice is that doubt isn't an enemy I'm asked to defeat. I'm called to explore my fear of uncertainty and ultimately my fear of knowing who I truly am. As I feel more confident about who I am, my eyes begin to adjust and doubtfulness shifts. Instead of doubting if I am good enough, worthy, or capable, I attempt to answer the nagging question, but how? This stems from a sense that I need to know it all. When I need to know and avoid ambiguity in this way, I am practicing a lack of trust. The thing is, as I journey through this new expansive world, I begin to see how I don't know it all, nor do I need to, because everything unfolds perfectly. I learn to accept the uncertainty. I no longer see it as an enemy. I see it as a reminder to practice more trust. Being in a dark room is not something to avoid. Being comfortable not seeing what's in front of you is the key. As soon as you are okay with not knowing, you can release the ego's endless hemming and hawing that serve as a way to pretend you don't have a deeper knowing within. This new world doesn't give me the answers. It asks me to be okay with not knowing. Not knowing where my next paycheck will come from, how I will pay for my apartment, what will happen if I change my plans? Where will I live next? If I'm making the right choice? Or if my boyfriend and I will stay together? But this intimidating new world doesn't leave me high and dry. It may not give me the answers, but it offers me a deeper knowing that everything is supporting me on my journey, time and time again. This is true knowing, which lives in harmony with the unknown. Confronting the so-called enemy of not knowing without the go-to defensive doubt feels vulnerable and super uncomfortable. If you recall, I tend to avoid uncomfortable situations like the plague. Now I'm faced with making decisions based on something I've never used before, my inner knowing, and no longer based on what you think or what the reviews say or knowing what will happen next. I look uncertainty in the face, muster up some courage, and say, you don't scare me. Bring it on. I say yes to opportunities without knowing how it will work out. I decide to stay an additional two weeks in South America with a friend of mine on a whim. I notice the uneasiness that comes with not knowing how I will pay for it or what will happen with my ticket or how my boyfriend will react. I feel the discomfort of not knowing these answers and stay anyway. I have the time of my life. My boyfriend is completely supportive my apartment gets rented out. I go paragliding in Medellin. I swim with sea turtles and the Galapagos penguins. I think you would agree. I'm okay despite the unpredictability. This type of decision to change plans on a dime becomes more and more common in this liberating new world. Each time feels a little more comfortable as I continue to not know the how. Each time I feel a little more confident that everything will be okay. 
I decide to relocate to Albany, New York for three months without knowing how I will cover the expense of my apartment while I'm gone. Upon landing in San Francisco with the decision to move in a few days' time, I turn on my phone to see an Airbnb request for my apartment during the time I plan to be in New York. This is the divine perfection of life. I say yes without knowing how, and I am supported. I continue to live on limited, non-traditional streams of income and go into debt. For some, this is sacrilegious. For me, it offers more opportunity to lean in and trust that everything will be okay. Not in some flippant, shallow sort of way, but from a deep place within. I now see debt as a choice to use resources in service of my liberation. From the outside, it might look like I'm making foolish choices and being irresponsible. I start to notice how, on the surface, things can look awfully similar to how they used to. But it's the inner peace and knowing that turns a once-confining cage into a liberating new world. Despite the discomfort of debt, I'm okay. Perhaps one of the biggest decisions I make without having all the answers is choosing to leave San Francisco. For months, I was thinking it was time to leave. My boyfriend Michael and I are coming to the end of a three-month road trip, which was also a spur-of-the-moment decision that totally worked out, and I finally give my notice. Still, I have no clear answers as to where to go or if it's the right decision. Something I had learned is that you don't always need to feel absolute clarity before taking the next step. Sometimes it is taking the next step that provides the clarity. Michael and I pack up the studio apartment, getting rid of nearly everything we own except for what can fit in the back of our Toyota Corolla. While I know it's time to leave, I have no idea what's next. And not in some philosophical way, like feeling unsure about our, where our lives will take us or what is in store for us. In a very literal way. We load up the car, pull onto I-80 heading toward the Bay Bridge, look at each other and ask, which way? We have no plans. We don't know where we will stay that night, or in two weeks' time. We have no jobs lined up, no timeline. We have a few boxes and a deep knowing that we will be guided. We choose to head south. We could have gone north. It doesn't necessarily matter, because either way, we are held. We allow ourselves to be led and trust our soul's knowing as we take the next step, then the next, and then the next after that. That is all we had. That is all we ever have. And that is always enough. Michael and I don't need to hem and haw and distract ourselves with doubt to feel safe. We move forward without knowing what's next. I learned to relax in, into the unknown. I learned to relax into the unknown by having faith that everything happens for a reason, even if I don't know how in this exact moment. This is part of learning to live in the flow and trust the true knowing within uncovering the proof that I don't need to have all the answers and things still naturally unfold according to the divine order of the universe. It's a little Nancy Drewish pulling out the magnifying glass and seeing if you can find the moments in your life that confirm this, as it does in mine time and time again. Had I not gotten married and gone through a divorce, I wouldn't have the experience and insights I have to be where I am today writing this book. Had I not decided to relocate to Albany for three months, I wouldn't have been prompted to look into life coaching at the time I did, which guided me to my mentor and introduced me to many of the incredible people I know today, including my publisher. Had Michael and I not gone south, 
we wouldn't have ended up in Mexico and found our 90-pound furry soulmate on the beach. I'm still in the midst of seeing the perfection of life unfold before my very eyes. The proof might be years down the line. I don't get to know the when or the how. This is part of the mystery that, as the theologian Paul Tillich suggests, is an element of faith. In addition, when you have faith in something larger than yourself, which, by the way, your true self is larger than your ego's sense of who you are, it requires you to doubt everything you have learned and seem to know up until now. It asks you to admit you don't know what anything means or what anything is for on a mental level. It requires you to release your grip on figuring it out and accept that you won't always have the answers or know what's next. I grew up in a Christian household, though not overly traditional or dogmatic. My extended family, on the other hand, seemed more conservative in their beliefs. I had a push-pull relationship with faith. For many years, I saw religion as the institution with which I didn't always agree, filled with hypocrisy and causing war, hate crimes, and a lot of fear. None of this rang true for me. None of this felt like faith or God or love. So I rejected it and became an atheist. I wanted nothing to do with this sort of God. Then I started to learn about faith and God in a new way, through books like Wishes Fulfilled, The Impersonal Life, and A Course in Miracles. I started to explore this idea that God is within me. God is me. I am God. Having been raised in a religious family, this thought felt blasphemous. How dare I suggest I am God? Yet this is your true essence. Call it God, source, universe, higher power, being. This is where your true knowing comes from. For a long time, I thought doubt and faith couldn't coexist. If I truly believe, why am I living with such doubt? Since I couldn't reconcile this, I chose doubt over faith for many years. Finally, I realized that doubt doesn't keep me from experiencing faith, and faith wouldn't keep me from experiencing doubt. True certainty, in the form of a deep knowing that comes from being, doesn't eliminate uncertainty on the cognitive level. As humans, we can't comprehend the expansiveness, limitlessness, and perfection of the universe. We can't possibly know from our human understanding how everything works. Yet this doesn't make the true knowing, or faith, any less real. During my ayahuasca journey in Peru, I received a very clear realization. In an instant, while lying on my back staring into the infinite sky, I experienced the paradox we are asked to embrace firsthand. My false self knows nothing, and my true self knows all, since she is created by the source of all divine knowing. There are different ways to explain knowing. As A Course in Miracles explains, there is perception and there is knowledge. Perception being where most of us live and operate from, and knowledge being our God-given gift that is deep within. When your knowing is based on knowledge and not just your perception, you know everything will be fine and work out for the best, and you are fully supported, loved, and valued. With this knowledge, you can trust and be at peace, no longer afraid of not knowing the how or when. Not knowing what's in front of me is no longer something to keep me from moving forward in a dark room. 
It's no longer something I point to and say, see, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Or since I don't know what will happen next, I better not even try. Doubt is no longer the reason not to do something. It means you're ready to go to the next level in trusting in something much larger than your paranoid little ego. It reflects back to you the truth that an element of mystery is a given when you place your faith in the divine light within. This new way of being asks that I shift my fear-based beliefs and transform my relationship with them, much like I did with perfectionism. Many of us resist the idea that we have the power of certainty within, because we believe it's profane to know. So we look outside ourselves, question the inner voice, and see knowing as a threat, because it is a threat to our ego. As Paul Tillich points out, there is an uncertainty in terms of not knowing how things will unfold or what it might look like, but there is certainty that it will and it will be okay. This is the treasure we each possess and many of us fear. The ego wants to keep you as far away as possible from this treasure of realizing your innate knowing. This is the treasure you claim when you grow to a higher level of trust, confront your fear, and move forward in the dark without being able to see what is in front of you. The treasure awaiting you is an assuredness that goes with you wherever you go. A reassurance that guides you as you make decisions without being clear on the next 10 steps, or even the next three. The treasure is no longer attempting to discern the one right answer or questioning your decisions, but instead trusting in the natural unfolding of life. It's possible to live a life that is based in trust as opposed to fear. It just takes a little practice and a willingness to surrender. The treasure has been covered up by layers and layers of gunk that is keeping its light from shining through. Cleaning away the grime takes a willingness to get out the supplies and start scrubbing. You don't always know what you're going to find, which is why it feels scary at first. It's a little like pulling out a dusty, cobweb-covered chest from the depths of a dark, damp basement and not being too sure what exactly you might find upon opening it up. Maybe a breakup letter from your first love, a shameful reminder of a wild night out, or perhaps something crawled in there and died. Who knows? You aren't sure what you will find, so you choose to keep it locked away. But if you are brave enough to clean it off, removing the dust and the cobwebs, you reveal a bright golden chest that is far more beautiful than you could have ever imagined, giving you more courage to keep cleaning and crack the lid open. The journey is all about coming to terms with the power of your divinity by removing the many layers that keep you from it. As I start to wipe away the dirt and reveal my innate perfection and inner knowing and experience how I am supported when I trust in that, I begin to experience this connection to something much larger than myself. I then extend this faith to others and to the entire universe. I start to see how we are all divine and interconnected, which starts with being fully connected to my soul's knowing, my true self. And that concludes chapter six. Next week, I will finish out part two, as we start to look at this third major theme in the book, comparison, and what comparison really is, and how it shows up, and how we can equalize it or neutralize it. 
like all things that I explored in Becoming Enough, there really is nothing to fear. There are no enemies. Yet the journey encourages us. It asks us to transform our understanding of these things, to transform our relationship with these things. And so we've looked at perfectionism. We've looked at doubt. And now we're going to look at comparison. And again, what fear is there to start with? And then what's the deeper fear that we really need to get to the heart of before we can move forward, truly trusting that who we are is already whole, complete, and perfect. So thank you for tuning in and listening to this. And if you did enjoy it, as I mentioned earlier, you can get it on Amazon. Subscribe to the radio show so that you are alerted of future episodes. And we'll finish Becoming Enough and then... I'll be doing more interviews and other solo shows as I've done in the past. And until then, many blessings.